This is the Daily Signal podcast for Tuesday, January 18th. I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Rob Bluey. On today's show, I talk with Hugo Gurdon, editor-in-chief of The Washington Examiner, about its new Restoring America initiative. We also read your letters to the editor and share a good news story about a Marine veteran whose life just got a little bit easier thanks to a loving service dog. Before we get to today's show, we want to tell you about the most reliable source for global economic data, the Heritage Index of Economic Freedom. The Heritage Foundation Index of Economic Freedom ranks nearly every nation in the world according to its level of economic freedom. Whether for personal or professional research, the index is a well of information. Learn why it's easier to start a business in Switzerland than it is in France, and where America falls on the ranking. Visit heritage.org index to explore the latest version of our Index of Economic Freedom. It features interactive maps, country rankings, graphs of data, and much more. Now stay tuned for Rob's conversation with Hugo Gordon. We are joined on The Daily Signal by Hugo Gurdon, Editor-in-Chief of The Washington Examiner. Hugo, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me. It's great to be here. You have just launched a new initiative called Restoring America. Uh, It's very exciting, great content, uh, really focused on some of those traditional American values that we hold so dear here at the Heritage Foundation and The Daily Signal, and I know you do as well. Tell our listeners about it. Restoring America is our effort to be part of a revival of the core values that made America great for the first 200 or more years of its existence. They're embedded in the Constitution. They're embedded in the, uh, in the Bill of Rights. But they are increasingly under attack. And, you know, as a conservative organization, uh, as is Heritage and, and, and the Daily Signal, we are naturally wanting to conserve those things. But we didn't want to leave that implicit. We wanted to be to launch a site and a kind of campaign or a movement which made that purpose and that goal explicit. Here we are. These are the things that we want to uh, protect from the relentless attack that they are under at the moment uh, from the left. These are the things that we want to promote. And we want to make sure that the enormous number of the millions and millions of people who are very worried about where America is and where it's going don't feel that they are alone. They're not browbeaten into believing that they are some reactionary or bigoted minority for believing these things. They are actually in an enormous number of people I think actually the majority of people in this country who want to preserve those things. So we wanted to give courage and, and, uh, and, and get people to realize that the future of this country is in their hands. All they have to do is stand up for the things that they believe and have the courage to say those things explicitly without embarrassment and not be browbeaten by those who are now trying to browbeat them. Now, thank you for that. Uh, You started with your initial editorial with a very blunt statement in the first sentence. America is going wrong. Explain what you mean. Well, I think that all over the country, um, you hear from people who love this country a concern that it's heading in the wrong direction. You hear people say different versions of the phrase restoring America. They say, 
how do we get back to basics? How do we save the republic? They're using phrases that just that are a lament and a, a concern about where the country is heading. And, you know, one of the things that I said in that essay was that for many years, perhaps at least a couple of uh, decades, the left was characterized by moral relativism. And that was a, a, it wasn't exactly programmatic, but it was pretty much systemic. It was, a, it was, it, it, what it did was erode and slash and burn the traditional values and make everything value neutral. What's happening now is that having destroyed people's full confidence in the things that they used to believe and the traditional values that they had, the left is now uh, replacing moral relativism with a kind of moral certainty. They don't want to hear anybody expressing views that they disagree with. People who do not uh, abide by the left-wing nostrums are to be silenced rather than listened to. And that is, a, I mean, obviously that is, a, it, it is inherently tyrannical. It means that uh, the left is imposing, uh, they want to tell people how to govern themselves, how to be governed, how to live, how, how their country should live. They're not interested in listening to people and governing by consent. One more question on, on this particular point. Was there a particular moment that you can identify where we started to go wrong, or has it been a culmination over years, maybe even decades now, of the left slowly chipping away at these foundational and traditional values that we believe in? I think it's it's the latter. There have no doubt been various cardinal points, um, but the this is a process that this is a process that has been going on throughout pretty much you know all of my life. Um, you know, I think you know you go back to the late fifties and through the sixties. It really gathered momentum with the uh, counterculture of the seventies, but there have been ways in which it has been eroded from different angles. I mean, I think that what we're now facing is it's a form of socialism. We used to face Soviet socialism in the, in strategically, and that, that was the threat. What we now have is a kind of postmodern socialism, which, is, it, it, which used, as I say, to have uh, to, to, to argue that almost all the beliefs that we had were, um, you know, one could not subscribe to them. They were either evil or else they were just uh, hypocritical. Now what we're getting is this uh, triumphant kind of elitism uh, uh, combined with a, a sort of uh, this, this, this sort of deceptive demand for equity. So it's, it's a very strange thing that we're looking at. And I think that it's actually been evolving or in a process of constant decline over the course of perhaps half a century. And very interesting. Now, I also noticed that you use the term cultural revolution in that initial editorial. Uh, of course, you've, you've you know, many times that is associated with the 1960s or the 1970s, but it's also been associated with some Marxist regimes in, in Russia right. and China. Yeah. So are you concerned at all that they're taking le the left is taking lessons from those other Marxist countries, communist countries, and trying to apply them here at home? I don't know whether I would say they're taking the lessons, but they have the same instincts and they and the and the and and broadly defined the tactics are the same. Obviously, there are, you know, we don't have 
tanks rolling through the streets to suppress and oppress civilians or anything like that. But one of the, I think, the chief characteristics of what is happening now is that the left wishes to take self-government away from ordinary people. Uh, the COVID pandemic has been a, a prime example of where we, where ordinary people have been told to shut up. And if they don't shut up, they're often just cancelled or they're removed by, uh, the, by social media from, they're removed from the conversation. We are being told to trust the experts, to trust science, etc. Now, this is a way of, def of delegating uh, the authority that comes from popular sovereignty, the, 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 the sovereignty of the people of the United States, a way of removing it from them and saying, well, you don't understand this, leave it to these experts. Th that, the removal of sovereignty to, a, uh, to a, a small cast of experts was very characteristic of those regimes, uh, you know, communist regimes and other, frankly, any, um, any other tyranny. Uh, the, popula the, 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 the population, the citizens of countries were expected to obey rather than to govern themselves. Since you brought up COVID, I want to ask you about that specifically. Right now, at this, this moment, we're in a city that has imposed some strict COVID mandates. Right. We have uh, vaccine documentation simply to get into a restaurant. At the same time, the federal government is telling employers with over 100 workers that they need to collect private medical information from their employees. How can we as Americans resist some of these authoritarian forces? I think the first thing that, need, that everybody needs to realize is that they should resist. The, the first, they have to get to the point where they say, uh, they stop saying, oh, "Well, the experts probably know," or they they have to they have to realize that resistance is required. They have to speak up. I think that we're actually in a. a I think that the arrival of the Omicron uh, variant is, in some ways, rather a, a, a good thing, uh, not because it makes so many people sick, which is obviously a bad thing, but that it is so virulent that it has exposed the fallacy that has existed over the course of the first 18 months or more of the pandemic, that somehow or other we could stop the pandemic, uh, we could stop the spread of this. Um, the virus has just blown that uh, falsehood or pretense away. And people are, are, are utterly sick of the restrictions that they've had to endure during the pandemic. And, they're no, and, and, and they can see that, um, that, that the advice or the uh, impositions from authority have changed. And there are things which are said now, which are 180 degrees, the opposite of what was said earlier on. They recognize that this has not been handled well by the, the authorities, by officialdom. And they're no longer willing to have their lives uh, disrupted and restricted uh, for what are often turn out to, for, for, for reasons which uh, for without reason actually for for uh, they're no longer willing to have the their lives disrupted and crimped and restrained uh, when they can see more and more commonly and more and more obviously that they don't those restrictions don't do any good that's right and I, I I'm hopeful that it's breaking down even among party party lines it's not oh, yes. just Republicans who are resisting but there are, are are Democrats and independents and others who are starting to speak up as right. you said as well well I think that they're preparing the ground I mean the the, the president 
President Biden just recently said is that we're not going something along the line. We're not going to get rid of the variant. We're going to have to live with it. Now, a lot of us were saying that in uh, April or May of 2020, um, just as a lot of us were saying, uh, actually, the lab leak theory look, really looks uh, fairly plausible. Please look into it closely. And, you know, we were accused of being racist, etc. So I think that the, the Democrats uh, and you can also see it with this new uh, distinction being made between those who died of COVID and those who died with COVID. So that if, you know, if people with four comorbidities died in the past, when the Democrats were not running everything, this was put down as having died of COVID. Of course, the numbers are actually far lower than the whatever it is, 800,000 people actually dying of COVID. So I think that the Democrats know that they have lost control of this, or rather, admitting very quietly to themselves that they never did have control. And it was it was actually false to suggest that they could ever get it under control. Let's go back to talking about restoring America sure. specifically. Uh, quite a novel idea for a, a media outlet, a, a news publication like yours to uh, take on an initiative <clears throat> this big and, uh, and expansive. Where did the idea come from and what are some of the things you've been doing uh, since it's been up and running? Well, the idea um, evolved from, you know, every now and again, and, uh, uh, and you probably know this with The Daily Signal, you, you sit down and you think, what are we doing? What are we, what are, what are the various um, storylines that we think that we are doing? Which ones do you think are, which ones do we think are important? Which ones should we do more of? And in the process of doing that, we, you know, we started accumulating a list of the kind of stories that we were covering and the kind of stories that we thought we should be covering. And through, through discussions, uh, we realized that what we were what we were talking about here was the coverage of, of um, political and cultural issues that were over the future of the country. And so and we decided, well, th this is what we do as conservatives anyway. We think that we are at an extremely important point in the country where, as I say, in the, the, the left is now triumphant and they're, they're pushing successfully against all of the traditional values that have made this country great. We need to push back and we need to encourage people to realize that they can win this fight. This, the, there's this, we are not historicists where we just believe there is there's something inevitable about where we arrive. That's uh, a, a concept we need to realize and people need to realize that they can steer their country where they wish it to go. And most people do not wish it to go where the extreme left is currently pushing it. And unfortunately, the extreme left now has uh, you know, co-opted the Democratic Party. And um, there seems to be no resistance from a president who ran as a centrist and is now uh, – you know, essentially uh, operating and co-operating with the socialists. And are there themes or ideas that have emerged as yeah. you've um, launched this, uh, different voices that you've, you've highlighted uh, to bring new ideas into that conversation? Uh, well, uh, yes, yes, there are. I mean, what, what we did with Restoring America is to say, okay, we, we need to think of ideas and almost like a sort of checklist for action which – most people could get behind. And so what this made us do was think, okay, what were the characteristics of America and of Americans that made 
America most admired when it was most admired around the world? And what made Americans proudest to, be, to call themselves Americans? And this came, we came up as a result of that with a, a number of different categories. Um, and I'll just I'll make sure I'm getting this exactly right. Patriotism and unity, faith, freedom, and self-reliance, courage, strength, and optimism, quality, not elitism, community and family, and fairness and justice. These are things, the characteristics that Americans and America were known for. And what we've sought to do in writing news stories that show these things being threatened and show people pushing back against these things, and in commentary, um, is to bring people in who, can, who are uh, smart and can uh, and, and, and look at what's happening in news stories or trends in the culture and associate those events and issues with those core principles and make people realize that all across the political spectrum, um, all across the political landscape, things are going on, moves are being made on all fronts where those wonderful qualities that characterized America, both in the eyes of Americans and in the eyes of people abroad, are being fought over and won and lost. And uh, so we've, you know, we've, had, um, we've had members of Congress writing for us. Um, we've had uh, people at think tanks writing for us. Uh, we've had, uh, you know, we've, we've, we've written news stories. I mean, we have, a, a, I think we've had uh, 50 or 60 different high-profile public intellectuals writing for us because, and it's not, difficult to find people who want to, to talk about these things because, as I say, wherever you go across the country, there are just there are millions of people who are concerned and who want to push the ideas that we are trying to push here. Tell our listeners how they can best find all of this great content. They should go to WashingtonExaminer.com slash Restoring America, and there they will find a discreet-looking website. And you know, we are going to be giving it a big push in 2022. Um, I was actually in a meeting this morning where we were, we were discussing uh, three uh, uh, events that we're going to be putting on with uh, wonderful speakers who I am not in a position yet to name, um, with audience from all over the country coming in virtually. We're going to be, we're going to be putting on events which... Um, uh, each one of these, we've got six pillars here. We've already identified the first three pillars that we're going to make, build events on. We're going to have uh, thousands and thousands of people, we hope, joining uh, us in these events virtually. And we will be talking, I will be talking, and other members of the Washington Examiner staff will be talking to people, holding panel discussions about these uh, important issues and, and getting input from uh, public intellectuals, from other journalists, from elected officials, etc. That's wonderful. Those yeah. conversations, I yeah. think, are, are, are much needed. Yeah. Hugo, as you describe this, I, I can't help but think of another major news publication, the New York Times, which has gone in a completely different direction right. yeah. with the embrace of the 1619 Project. Nicole right. Hannah-Jones was awarded a Pulitzer Prize, shockingly, uh, despite the fact that it was filled with errors right. and um, and certainly pushing a very uh, extreme agenda. As, as an editor-in-chief of a major publication, you know that you can help shape public opinion. Right. What do you make of what the Times was trying to do and how the examiner is perhaps a better 
place for Americans to turn when it comes to looking for ideas and solutions for the future of America? Well, the New York Times, I think that there was a, a, an internal discussion was, was leaked uh, many months ago now, where after the, their failure of their project to damage um, and bring down President Trump, um, the whole Russia collusion uh, narrative, which has now been very substantially debunked, it, the decision was made to focus at the New York Times on racial, on the issues of race. And so they produced the 1619 Project, which posits the idea that the real founding of the country was in 1619 when the first slaves were brought here, and uh, further posits the idea that the, the revolution uh, itself was based uh, on the desire to sustain slavery um, and essentially to teach that uh, the United States is uh, inherently and irredeemably racist. Um, it suggests that the founding ideals are hypocritical and outdated or both. And yes, we want to, I mean, it would be, it would be marvelous if the um, Restoring America were to uh, be able to influence the way people thought and think and to be adopted uh, as the 1619 project is being now, now being taught in schools. Um, we believe that, in fact, we already have a bigger base for what we are trying to uh, push than the 1619 project has because I think most people recognize not only that the, um, the history and that the, the, the scholarship of the 1619 Project is very faulty and tendentious, but they, they, they believe that this is a wonderful country. They don't believe it's irredeemably racist. They, you know, they, they remember and they were taught in school that this country fought a civil war to remain united and to end slavery. That is to the United States' credit, hugely to its credit. It eradicated a... Uh, a terrible practice in this country. It tried to live up better to the ideals. It didn't say that the ideals were hypocritical. It realized, a lot of people realized, and the whole country has come to realize that the country did not live up to the ideals that, it, that were outlined in the, um, in the Declaration of Independence and, and the Bill of Rights. Um, the way that the country has evolved is greatly to its credit. And one of the points that I make in the, I mean, the, the, the 1619 project is intended as a kind of revolutionary uh, uh, analysis of the United States. One of the things that um, we go back to in Restoring America is the Burkean idea of conservatism, where we, where a free and peaceful and united country is involved constantly in a negotiation between the past and the future. It respects the wisdom of the past. It doesn't want to start from year zero like the French revolutionaries did, like Pol Pot did. It doesn't say that the people of the past, and we're canceling them now at an extraordinary rate, were fools and uh, knaves. It says they had their wisdom too. But we don't allow the wisdom of the past to snuff out the hopes for the future. Conservatism and the restoration of America is not about um, somehow freezing America at some perfect epoch. It never was perfect and it never will be perfect. It's about allowing the wonderful principles of a free people 
to guide the way it evolves into a better and better place. It's it's and and we need to get back to that point and yeah. and and that is uh, an optimistic vision of of the future. At the same time, you point out that public polling suggests that Americans are pessimistic right now. Mm-hmm. So, what is your advice to them if they're listening to this, if they're reading the the articles on restoring America? Uh, are there practical steps that they can take in their own lives to push back on things like cancel culture, uh, to overcome divisions that might even exist within their own families? I mean, we've right. heard stories anecdotally of families who don't even talk to each other because they're divided on political or cultural issues. Yeah, you know, this this uh, the division of families and um, of, you know, both within the single families or in the wi- wider families where people won't talk to each other, where you know, where pollsters ask questions of people about whether they would date or marry someone who had political views that contradicted theirs or disagreed with theirs. These are uh, worrying trends in the country. And, um, uh, you know, people used to people talk about the days when in, in up on Capitol Hill, members of Congress could be friends and uh, friendly acquaintances off the floor, even though they argued vigorously on the floor. There was a sense that even when people disagreed that they were at least on the same team. It's very sad and problematic that I don't think it's plausible to argue anymore that people are on the same team. I think that there is a substantial proportion of the country, uh, and it's a minority, but it's a substantial minority, that simply doesn't believe uh, in America anymore. And they are doing – why they burn the flag. It's why they, they, they chant America never was great and things like that. What can people do? The first thing they have to do is realize that they are actually probably in the majority. Uh, I would say almost certainly in the majority. They are not alone. They are not this voice of reason in the wilderness there are millions upon millions upon millions of them, and therefore they can have the courage of their numbers. The, the, the fact that there is a noisy minority trying to silence them shows that silencing them is what the opposition wants. It is the one thing that they should not do. They should speak up and say, you don't have to become they, – they, no doubt some people will be angry, you know, and uh, – uh, as as a friend of mine reminded me the other day, you know, as Aristotle said that, you know, when anger is appropriate, not getting angry is a, is a, is a character flaw. Uh, sure, being angry about some of this is fine, but it doesn't mean that people have to be hostile. People can, with in civil discussion, nevertheless refuse to back down. They can say, I disagree with you. I think you're wrong. Here's why I think you're wrong. And people should get involved at whatever level they feel comfortable. And you saw that happening in Virginia, in the Virginia governor's race, when, which, which was expected early on to be a fairly comfortable Democratic victory and where, in fact, Glenn Youngkin won pretty handsomely. Um, what happened there was that – and COVID delivered this for, for the Republicans in some ways. Remote learning meant that parents – were obliged, obviously, to have their children at home and be with their children. And they could see on Zoom learning what their children were being taught. Of course, they were also extremely frustrated that the schools were closed when in other parts of the country, um, 
uh, schools were kept open by, uh, I think, more judicious and wise um, and far-sighted uh, local officialdom. They were frustrated that the schools were closed, and then they paid attention to what was being taught. And they looked at this despicable uh, curriculum that was being uh, foisted upon their children, indoctrinating their children in the belief that if they were, if they were white, they were irredeemably oppressors and privileged. If they were black, they were irredeemably victims and really could not expect to participate in the American dream. What you saw there was a parental revolt. It was most acute in Virginia because there was a governor's race, but it was actually happening all over the country. Suddenly, the scales were falling from the eyes of parents, and they thought, and the people of Northern Virginia are the people who turned that state blue. But it was the people of Northern Virginia who realized that the Democrats who controlled the governor's mansion, who controlled the schools, boards, etc., didn't have the interests of their children at heart and were feeding this poison into their children. And they said, we've had enough of it. You know, there are a lot of people in the, in, uh, who are not that interested in politics. When political arguments come up, they're inclined to say, oh, it's just politics. They don't let the people in. Yeah. But when you start messing with their children, you wake the kraken. And they are not going to have their children propagandized and distorted and told that they are irredeemably racist just because they're white or, or uh, uh, incapable of achieving their ends, uh, their goals in life because they are black. Then you go, right, that's where the ordinary people will realize that politics meshes with their normal lie, their ordinary lies. And that's what people have to realize in, and what we hope we will do with Restoring America. The... the, the um, attacks on our traditional values, which include the suggestion that parents should not be, have any involvement in what their children are being taught. In other words, it's, the, it's to erode the family. What we hope people will realize, and we will promote this idea through our writing and through our videos and through our commentary and Restoring America, is that policy and politics is something which has a profound impact on the way that they live, the society and the culture that they live in. And uh, they have a wonderful society and what has in the past been a vibrant and uh, enviable culture, envied all around the world. They can still have it, but they have to try and keep it and they have to do what's necessary to keep it. I'm so glad you, you, you made that point and shared that story about parents. You recently just wrote about uh, what you call the socialist lullaby, yes. which guarantees Americans that government will always be there for them to help. Clearly, in the case of Virginia, uh, the parents were not lulled to sleep by this lullaby. They woke up. Right. What's it going to take? And do you think it's coming in the rest of our country? I do think that it's coming. I, I, I don't believe that, I mean, you know, the, the idea that you, you cannot fool all of the people all the time. I don't think you can fool the majority of the people all of the time. Um, I think that I, I, things are setting up pretty well for the Republicans in the midterm elections. And I think that the uh, profound unpopularity of uh, President Biden, after he's been in office, not yet one year, nearly one year, 
um, suggest that that the Democrats are in trouble. And I believe, uh, I observe that more and more people are looking at the leading edge of the left, the, 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 the sort of extreme policies, the, the, the astonishing sight of um, biological males being allowed to participate in sports and destroying girls' sports, uh, f- for which you know, girls and young women have been training all of their lives to achieve things and just being blown away because of this uh, ridiculous and uh, a ridiculous uh, transgender agenda, which you know, which suggests that men can get pregnant, and, and everybody knows it's not true. And uh, the the leading edge of the left now is so fantastical, so ludicrous, that it's impossible for ordinary people to say, "Oh, yeah, that's unsensible." They're going to. They are increasingly saying. No, that's that's a lot of BS. I'm not going along with that. It's not true. We and you know, there's the the biblical notion that you can you know you have to build your house on a rock. You have to you have to build your society on the truth, otherwise it's going to fall to pieces. And the you know the the left wing nostrums now are so evidently uh, quicksand that you can't build a decent and free society on it. And I think more and more people are realizing that. Yeah. If, as, as you suggested, Republicans do perform well in the midterms, they're going to need ideas and solutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, the American people will expect action, mm-hmm. uh, not only in Washington, but in state capitals across this country. And uh, Restoring America, I think, will be a great resource for them to turn and look for those ideas. I certainly hope so. Tell our listeners again how they can find all, all of right. this great material. You can find all of this great material. Thank you for saying so, Rob. Uh, at uh, the WashingtonExaminer.com slash Restoring America. And um, there's going to be lots of new developments with this, and we're going to be telling people about these events that I talked about. Um, It's wonderful to come here and talk about Restoring America, and I'm very grateful that you invited me. Hugo, thank you so much. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks very much, Rob. Do you have an interest in public policy? Do you want to hear lectures from some of the biggest names in American politics? The Heritage Foundation hosts webinars called Heritage Events Live. These events are free and open to the public. To find the latest heritage events and to register, visit heritage.org events. Thanks for sending us your letters to the editor. Each Monday, we feature our favorites on this show. Virginia, who's up first? In response to the Daily Signal article and documentary about Amazon's censorship of Ryan Anderson's book discussing gender dysphoria and transgenderism, Paula Reinhart of Raleigh, North Carolina, writes, Dear Daily Signal, as a therapist who also writes on cultural issues, I want to say that Ryan Anderson's book is by far the best thing that's come out on the subject of transgender, and along with Abigail Schreier's book, has deeply informed my understanding on the subject. The tone and approach of Anderson's writing is beyond reproach. I do think you are right. Logic and human nature, and now countless regret stories, will slowly dismantle the transgender madness. And that's why Amazon moved against his book. 
But my hat is off to Ryan Anderson, and I'm so glad you did an article on the unfair opposition to this book. And James writes to us, I have read and understood a lot of the articles on the Daily Signal website. Next step as a resident and consumer and voter is what to do about the issues I read about. This seems to be the most common scenario I note from virtually all I read. What do I do? Well, James, that's a great question, and thanks for asking. Here at the Heritage Foundation, we've created something called the Citizen's Guide to help people like you who are asking what they can do about the challenges facing America today. Just visit heritage.org slash citizensguide to learn more and become one of the many Americans taking action to solve the problems that we face. Your letter could be featured on next week's show, so send us an email at letters at dailysignal.com. The Heritage Foundation has a new website to combat critical race theory. CRT, as it's known, makes race the centerpiece of all aspects of American life. It categorizes individuals into groups of oppressors and victims. The idea is infiltrating everything from our politics and education to the workplace and even our military. Heritage has pulled together the resources that you need to identify CRT in your community and the ways to fight it. We also have a legislation tracker so you can see what's happening in your state. Visit heritage.org slash CRT to learn more. Virginia, you have a good news story to share with us today. Over to you. Thank you so much, Rob. There is something special about a man and his dog. And for Marine veteran Todd Nicely and his service dog, Hugo, that is certainly true. Todd Nicely joined the Marines in 2007. He became a squad leader and was serving overseas in 2010 when he suffered an extreme injury that nearly took his life, as he told KMOV4. I stopped the patrol before crossing a bridge, and as I was crossing the bridge, I stepped on a bomb. Todd lost both his arms and both his legs in the explosion and died three times before he was finally stabilized at the hospital. The challenges of living life without arms and legs is one Todd has taken on with courage, but now he has a little extra help in the form of a fury friend, Hugo, the service dog. Having him here to be able to pick those things up for me or pick something up that I drop is um, kind of a blessing in disguise, really. It makes my quality of life a lot better. In December, a St. Louis-based nonprofit called Champ Assistance Dogs placed Hugo with Todd for free. The organization trains service dogs to help the disabled and has placed over 70 dogs with people in need. The executive director of Champ, Pam Budkey, says the organization exists to help people just like Todd. Hugo making a difference in Todd's life, it's a wonderful feeling for all of us. And we all rejoice in, in seeing someone become more independent because a dog is there to help them. Champ is not only helping the lives of those who receive the free service dogs, but also those who train the dogs. Many of Champ's service dogs are trained in part by female inmates at a local Missouri prison. The women have the opportunity to learn positive interaction and social skills and gain job skills during their incarceration. And what a beautiful way to give purpose and value back to those in prison than by allowing those to train animals who will change the quality of life for disabled individuals just like Marine veteran Todd Nicely. If you want to learn more about Champ Assistance Dogs, you can visit champdogs.org. 
Virginia, thanks so much for sharing that story. We're going to leave it there for today. You can find the Daily Signal podcast on the Ricochet Audio Network. All of our shows are available at dailysignal.com slash podcasts. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review and a five-star rating. It means a lot to us and helps us spread the word to other listeners. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Daily Signal and Facebook.com slash The Daily Signal News. Have a great week. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Rob Bluey and Virginia Allen. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, visit DailySignal.com. It is executive produced by Virginia Allen and Kate Trinko. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, please visit DailySignal.com.